0: you would, if you'll take a copy of the Bible, there's some there in the pew. If you didn't bring one with you, you can grab it. If you'll turn open to the New Testament, which is in the back of the Bible, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. If you hit any of those Acts, Romans, any of those number books, you've gone too far. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm going to read verse, chapter 14, verse 26, and then we're going to flip over to chapter 16, verse 7. Again, this is just a little different, this sermon series. Uh, it's less sermon and a little more teaching as we're looking at the triune God together. And so we're just using these verses as a little bit to orient us and set us so that we can then explore the doctrine of our triune God, and tonight what we're doing is we're looking at God the Holy Spirit, and so we're going to look at that in reference to the Trinity in particular, uh, the third person of the triune Godhead, uh, the Spirit. Let me pray just before we read these two verses together, and then we'll discuss the Spirit together. Our Father, we do cry out to you, even as we have done in prayer already, and as we have done in song. We say that we are a needful people, truly there is no righteousness within us apart from your work. We pray that you would minister to us this evening, that this wouldn't be a dry academic inquiry into the work of the Spirit and the person of the Spirit, but as we discuss things that sometimes be complex and feels like providing definitions and defining terms and defining relationships, often we can miss the beauty of you or God So we pray that even as we hear these things discussed tonight, and as we think upon them together, that our souls would be stirred, that we would find this very Spirit, which we are discussing this evening, would well up within us faith, would bring forth praise and adoration and thanksgiving, would, as it were, carry us into the heavens to think upon you, our God. And that can only be true if you, by your divine will and according to your divine decree, appoint for the Spirit to work in our midst. And so we cry out in faith that it would be so. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, and by the Spirit that indwells us. Amen. So John chapter 14 in verse 26, and John is quoting Jesus here when Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then I want you to flip over just a couple of chapters later, chapter 16, And in the midst of one of the longer discourses about the Spirit, there in chapter 16, the Lord Jesus says this in verse 7. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but I go. But I go, I will send Him to you. Use those two verses tonight to kind of orient us, and especially that first verse, that John chapter 14, verse 26. What I want to do first is just think about the names of the Spirit in the Scripture, and this is what John does for us, or Christ does for us here in chapter 14, verse 26. I want you to notice first the two names that are ascribed in this one verse. He is called, that is, the person of the Spirit is called the Helper. He's called the Helper, and then he's called the Holy Spirit. Helper is the Greek word paraclete, which means one that comes alongside of, or one that comes along to assist. It has the idea of being a counselor, but Not a counselor as in Pat is a counselor, but rather a counselor in one that is an advocate. We often use this when we're speaking about lawyers or counselors. Well, he is a counselor in that he is an advocate. As Van Maastricht, the Reformed theologian of the 16th century said, he said, from all these things, paraclete means a defender of a cause, a teacher, A comforter, an exhorter, and an intercessor. And in this way, He is our paraclete. You'll notice that in both passages. When Jesus is speaking about the Holy Spirit being a helper, He's speaking about Him being a helper to us. He's a helper to those that are the elect of God. Those that have been brought into relationship with the Father through the Son, the Paraclete or the Holy Spirit is a helper to them. He teaches us, he comforts us, he intercedes for us, he leads us, he helps us. He's also called here in verse 26, he's also called the Holy Spirit. He's not simply a spirit. He is called the Spirit. And in particular, He is called the Holy Spirit. That is, He bears the divine attribute of holiness. And He bears it as divinity bears it. He is the Holy Spirit. It's it's not a holiness, but the holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. So those are the two names that Jesus uses of Him there in that one verse. Second, what I want us to notice is that what makes the Spirit the Spirit? What what makes the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit? What makes Him this third person of the triune Godhead? The Holy Spirit is called the third person of Godhead because He subsists from the Father and the Son. We'll talk about that in a second. He subsists from the Father and the Son, and He also operates from the Father and the Son. I remember someone once asking me, I'd only been uh, a pastor for about a year, and someone walking up to me after a church service and saying, so pastor, I'm confused. Is the Spirit the Spirit of the Father, or is He the Spirit of the Son? And I remember just kind of going, great question, let me get back to you. Ah. Uh, It's a complex question because he's called both in Scripture. He's the Spirit of the Father. He's the Spirit of the Son. The Scriptures speak about him being the Spirit of God, meaning the Father. They also speak of him being the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God's Son. And it's rightfully so when you begin to understand the doctrine of the Trinity because the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And so at times He is called the Spirit of the Father. For example, Matthew 10.20, For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. He's also called the Spirit of the Son, Galatians 4.6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We see that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, John 15.26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me, says Jesus. But he also proceeds from the Son, John 20 verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, "Receive the Holy Spirit." So we see that the Father sends the Spirit, John 14:26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. And the son also sends the Spirit. John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will come to you. But I go, I will send Him to you. That is, we will talk about it in two different ways. Ontologically, that is what the Trinity is in its being. The Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. That is, intra-Trinitarian. That is, what it looks like, if we can use that kind of wording, within the Trinity, the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's also true economically. That is, how they work in this world. How they work in the universe. The Father and the Son both send the Spirit out. And so the Spirit goes out to accomplish the work as it is sent out by the Father and by the Son. The Spirit, as we saw with the Son, is not distinct from the Father or from the Son because of what He possesses or He doesn't possess. No, He's the same. You and I just confessed it in the Catechism. He's the same in substance. He is equal in power and glory with the Father and the Son. There is no difference In attributes, there is no difference in essence between the Father and the Spirit or the Son and the Spirit. So what is the difference? It's again the relationship. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. Now what I've just said, if you know a little bit of church history, has maybe been the most divisive thing in the entire history of the church. So how can that be? Well, maybe besides the Reformation, uh, there has been no larger disagreement in the church than what I just said, that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. That this has always been true and is true This was the divide that created the divide between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. The Eastern Church has held that the Spirit only proceeds from the Father alone, whereas the Western Church has held that He does proceed from both the Father and the Son. The debate erupted around the Nicene Constantinople Creed uh, that was ratified by the the Western church, and it added what we often call the Filioque clause, that procession clause that the Spirit proceeded both from the Father and the Son. And this will result in the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Eastern churches and the Western churches splitting in 1054 A.D. There will be a complete and drastic split. Where then you will have all of the eastern churches and you will have the western church. western church being centered in Rome, the eastern church being centered in Constantinople, of Byzantium there. Um, what today is modern day Istanbul. And you will have two separate churches for the rest of history. If you remember from last week, the Arian controversy... We were quoting this on my way here, for those of you that were here a couple weeks. Oh, Patrick, that's Arianism. Remember, Jesus was lesser, a lesser divinity. And God the Father, there was a time that he was not, but then he was created and became a lesser divine. The Eastern Church and the Western Church are battling with this. The Western Church will, as one of the ways to combat Arianism, will adopt what is called this filioque clause, that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, and not just from the Father. Uh, this will happen in Spain. Uh, it will happen especially in the area of Toledo. There will be in the 500s, there will be the outcroppings of Arianism and so the local churches there in Toledo will take this creed and they will add that he also proceeds from the sun and Then the churches in France will adopt it uh, later in the early and late 500s and 600s, and then eventually Rome itself will adopt it as official dogma in the early 1000s. And then you have 1054 where the Eastern Church says this is a compromise of the Trinity. And they have great concerns about it. Reformed theologians have always held that the disagreement is not as great as it was first considered to be. And we've argued that it is absolutely necessary that we see a double procession, that is that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son, but but we make it clear that you can understand the concerns that the Eastern Orthodox Church has and that it's maintained about saying that the Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son. And Reformed theologians have said, well, there is a way to articulate this that we think we can all agree about, and it helps safeguard the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father is the fountainhead. He is the first person of the triune Godhead. All that the Son has, everything that the Son has, everything that He is, He has received from the Father. It's not that he, there was a time that He did not exist. He has always existed with the Father and yet He proceeds from the Father. He is the only begotten of the Father and so all that He has and all that He is comes from the Father and this would include the property of breathing out the Spirit that the Son has. Jesus also says that He and the Father are one in John 10.30 and are they not one inspirating the Spirit, that is, in the Spirit coming forth and proceeding. It seems that they would be. But maybe we can say it this way, as one theologian said, while the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, He does so from one spirating principle. So the Spirit spirates from The Father and the Son, but what the theologian is saying, but but it's one spirating principle which resides originally in the Father, and by virtue of eternal beginning, it's also in the Son. And so the Spirit's procession, we could say accurately, comes from the Father through the Son, even as we speak of the Spirit's procession from the Father and the Son. But you could also speak of the Spirit's spiration coming from the Father through the Son. That seems to be a way, maybe, that we could bring the East and the West together. Could all agree on that, maybe. But regardless it's important to uphold this double procession because in part this is what distinguishes the son and the spirit and that's why I think it is incredibly important the son is singularly begotten he is alone the begotten of the father he is begotten from the father from all eternity, but the Spirit is distinct from the Son in that He proceeds or spirates from two persons, from the Father and the Son. Whereas the Father is not begotten and He does not proceed, He's the one that begets and He's the one that spirates. So as we speak about the uniqueness of the Spirit, and this is so important because if you don't have some distinction of the Spirit, then His personhood gets swallowed up in the other personhoods and you no longer have a trinity. But what is the difference between the Spirit and the Son and the Spirit and the Father? It isn't of essence. It isn't of attributes. It isn't of power. It isn't of glory. What's the difference? It's relationship. And if the Son proceeds from the Father and the Spirit simply proceeds from the Father, then the relationship that the Son has with the Father is no different in essence than the relationship that the Spirit has with the Father. No, what distinguishes the Spirit from the Son is that He spirates or He proceeds from both the Father and the Son. This is what makes the Spirit distinct as a person and why we must uphold as Trinitarian Christians the double procession of the Spirit. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. All right. All right. Now let's think about the work of the Spirit, a little less heady. The Spirit, as we think about His work in this world, and as we think about His work in history and in the universe, He is, I think often in our circles, we often refer to Him as the forgotten person of the triune Godhead. And in some ways, I think that's warranted, where He is the one that we often miss Is the one that we least speak about and we can pay the least amount of attention to. However, in other ways, the Spirit is rightfully not given the same attention as the Father and the Son. Rightfully. This is actually one of the many problems that I have with some of the the Spirit-emphasized movements that have happened in church history and some of the denominations that are around today, is that there is too much focus upon the Spirit. See, the Spirit, if we can say it this way, is the shy person of the Triune Godhead. The Spirit isn't looking for you and I to look to Him. By that, I mean the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and so as He proceeds from the Father and the Son, He works to glorify the Father and the Son. That's what He seeks to do. The Spirit's work is not to call attention to Himself, but rather He seeks to see the Father and He seeks to see the Son glorified. And as the Father and as the Son are glorified, so then the Spirit is glorified. Therefore, in some ways, we again, it's not precise language I'm using here, but in some ways, that there's an embarrassment for the Spirit when you and I become all focused in on the Spirit. No, it is His work to give glory to the Father and the Son. Maybe a good analogy would be thinking about our presidents, and some of our presidents have been great orators. I think about those inaugural speeches on Inauguration Day. If I was to ask you in this room, uh, give, me, give me a quote from one of those presidential inaugural speeches, I'm guessing maybe a tenth of you could give me two different quotes from two different speeches. I'm guessing that maybe half of you, 75% of you could give me one quote from one speech. And I would wager almost everything I own in saying that if you could quote one sentence from one of those inaugural speeches, it would be from John F. Kennedy's inaugural speech. That's the one that sticks. Is that famous line that we all know well, the grip the nation that stirred people to action, and for many it provided hope, and it's been repeated so many times. He said, so my fellow Americans, that's not what your country can do for you, and you can finish it with me, but what you can do... For your country, right? You know it. You know those words, and everyone applauds, and everyone celebrates Kennedy. What if people, though, at the end of that speech, and even at that moment, instead of applauding Kennedy and cheering Kennedy when he had given those words, had ten- turned to Ted Sorensen? He said, well, what? why would they turn to Ted Sorensen? It's Kennedy's speech. Did Tor- Ted Sorensen have anything to do with that speech? And the answer is he had everything to do with that speech. He was a speech writer. That was his speech. But the speech writer serves the speech maker And the speech writer receives applause when the speech maker receives applause. He's not looking for attention. In fact, if he gets the attention, then there's some embarrassment on his part. He's serving to bring attention to another, and so it is with the Spirit. Jesus said in John 6.14, in 16.14, He said, He, meaning the Spirit, will glorify me. The Spirit seeks to glorify the Father and the Son. This is true because ontologically He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so economically that is how He works. He goes out from the Father and the Son. And He's always seeking to return glory to the Father and the Son. It is so important that you and I understand the Trinity in its essence so that we understand it in its working so that we ascribe the right praise and glory according to its working. In this way, it's not surprising that we pay less attention to the Spirit. In many ways, we honor the Spirit by directing our praise to the Father and the Son. In this way, it's also not surprising that the Spirit receives less attention in the Scriptures. Not that it takes the Spirit completely out of the Scriptures. The Spirit is throughout the Scriptures. And yet, when you and I read the Scriptures, it's very clear that as we move over the course of redemptive history and as we read through the unfolding revelation of God throughout history, the Spirit only becomes clear towards the end. At the beginning, you have God. And the Father is, is very much present. It's very clear that He is God. And then as we move through redemptive history, the Son becomes more and more clear, the person of the Son. And especially as He becomes incarnate, But the Spirit begins to manifest Himself in Scripture. His person becomes more and more full as we begin to see Jesus go through His ministry. And this makes complete and perfect sense. We have our triune Godhead fully revealed, each person in the one divine essence. Just a few applications. First, our view of the Spirit is to affect our understanding of ministry in the Christian life. To have your view of the Spirit affect your understanding of ministry in the Christian life. We work by the means of God as God has appointed. It is, we work by the Word, we work by prayer, we work by the sacraments. There is always and constantly in every generation, there is this movement among Christians and in the church to somehow treat the Christian life in some kind of mystical way. And often what is pointed to is that you're filled with the Spirit. And so there's this kind of push to go into the mystical. But but that's not how he works. The Spirit is sent out by the Father and the Son. He's not a rogue agent. He's sent out by the Father and the Son. So He works according to how the Father and the Son have appointed for things to work. By their means. By the Word, the sacraments, and prayer. He is always seeking to glorify the Son, so He always acts according to the Father and the Son. This has incredible implications. People often speak of the Spirit having done this, or said this, or caused that, but the Spirit works according to the Son. You cannot separate the Spirit from the Word of the Son. The Son works through His Word, so the Spirit works by that same Word. When we say we're following the Spirit when it's not according to the Word, then we're not following the Spirit. We're following a Spirit, but not the Spirit. For this Spirit is the Spirit of the Son, and He acts by the Word and according to the Word, to the glory of the living Word. You can't separate life and ministry and the church and growing in Christ and glorifying God and serving God apart from the means that God has appointed. You aren't an institution unto yourself because you're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son and so He works to glorify the Father and the Son so He attends to the means that the Father and the Son have appointed. That means You have to be Bible people. That means you have to be prayer people. That means you have to be sacrament people. Because that is how the Father and the Son have chosen to work by the Spirit. Second, I want you to realize what the giving of the Spirit means spoke of that a few times this evening, that Jesus ascended so that we might receive the Spirit. St. Basil, a church father, said this, he said, just as the Father is made visible in the Son, so also the Son is recognized in the Spirit. What is the greatest gift that God can give you and I? What's the greatest gift? And the answer is Himself. He can give Himself because there's nothing greater. There's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more lovely. There's nothing more true. There's nothing more good. And this is what He does in the Spirit. He gives you Himself. Augustine said this, he said, The Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. That's a way to think about it. The Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. And God communicates His innermost life with those that He has chosen as His own. He sends His very Spirit into them. The same Spirit that takes up residence in the child of God, thereby uniting us to the very life of the triune Godhead. The Spirit that takes up residence in you. It's a very bond, Augustine is saying, between the Father and the Son. Do you know what you've been given? You've been given God. This is why Paul makes such a big deal of the fact that you and I are temples of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, look, you have to pursue holiness. How can you not understand this, Corinthians? You've got to pursue holiness. You're a temple of the living God. He says, you have to pursue righteousness. You have to pursue goodness. You have to pursue truth and beauty. God has given himself to you and has taken residence up in you. That, That has to shape everything about you. Third, encourage you to seek to understand more fully the Spirit's work so you can understand the Christian life more fully. Understand more fully the Spirit's work so you can understand the Christian life more fully. Theology, people say, ah, I don't need theology. No, you need theology. Right thinking shapes right living. Orthodoxy Informs orthopraxy, right? Thinking shapes right living. The more you understand all of that that we went through at the beginning, you think, oh, that seemed like a lot of academic mumbo jumbo and seemed like a lot of splitting of hairs. No, it's not splitting of hairs. This is your God. And your understanding of your God shapes your understanding of how to live in light of that God. So how does this matter? Well, it's the Spirit that proceeds from the Father and the Son. So it's the Spirit that applies all that the Father has decreed and all that the Son has purchased. The Spirit applies all that the Father has decreed and all that the Son has purchased. This has incredible ramifications for your Christian life. This means... That when we speak of salvation and when we speak of grace and when we speak of mercy and when we speak of truth and when we speak of knowledge, it all comes from the Father. It all comes through the Son. But it all comes by the Spirit. It it is all applied to us by the Spirit. That means I, I can't seek anything apart from The Spirit doing that work. How does He do that work? He does that work through His means of grace. That's how the Spirit applies these things that the Son has purchased for me, that the Father has decreed. This is how He works. But you see, it also informs the reverse. When you and I are seeking to give things to God, when we're seeking to give Him praise, or we're seeking to give Him adoration, or we're seeking to work out our salvation as we're seeking to do good works for Him. How do we do that? We do that not by our own strength because that's not how He receives anything. No, we do it by the Spirit. And it's offered through the Son to the Father. And this only makes sense if you understand the Trinity. It shapes your entire Christian life where I'm not just trying harder. I'm not just trying to bucket up and do better. No, I'm looking for the empowering of the Spirit. I'm praying for the Spirit to work in me to bring forth those prayers. I'm praying for God to will through Christ by the Spirit to grow me in righteousness and then I'm cooperating with the Spirit to work in me as I attend to the Word and attend to prayer and attend to the sacraments and seek to grow in these ways so that I have things to offer by the Spirit through the Son to the Father. It informs everything. Finally, let us recognize that the same Spirit... Our Lord, dependent upon in His earthly life and ministry, is the same Spirit that has now taken up residence in us. And that provides, I think, the greatest hope and the greatest strength in this life. I, this is maybe the greatest thought I've had in the past ten years, I feel like. Most soul-shaping. But my Lord and Savior, when He lived in this world that He depended upon the Spirit. And as he went through his earthly life and as he sought to give glory to his Father, he did it by dependence upon the Spirit. So that when he says, I must go to the Father so that I can send the Helper to you. You see, that makes zero sense if you don't understand this. The disciples are saying, oh, please don't go. Please stay with us. You're the king of glory. You just triumphed over death. You are the risen Lord. And he's saying, Look, there's something you need. You need the Spirit, and the Spirit doesn't come unless I ascend to the Father, and the Father and I will send the Spirit to you. Now, why is that so important? Because that's what we lean upon. That's what we work by. That's what we glorify him by. That's how we give him thanksgiving and adoration is by that spirit that now takes up residence in us as we are purchased by the blood of Christ. And it's the same spirit that Jesus was strengthened by throughout his earthly life. The same spirit that rose him from the grave now indwells me That's been life-changing for me. Because I'm a weak man. So I lean into the Spirit. I'm a sinful man. But I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know what to pray half the time. I'm filled with the Spirit that groans forth on my behalf. The same Spirit. That the Son relied upon now fills me. That's good news. That will cause Spirit-empowered praise and thanksgiving to well up within you through the Son and to the Father. So much more we could say about the Spirit. But He would have us glorify the Father and the Son. Let's close with that as we pray and then sing. Our Father, we are thankful, thankful that you and the Son sent the Spirit into this world to convict of unrighteousness, to take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh, to call all those things to remembrance that our Lord Jesus had taught. To be our paraclete, our counselor, our advocate, to help us. To be our strength when we are weak. To conform us more to the likeness of our Savior. To seal to us the grace that has been given to us. To lift our heads and our eyes up to our Christ who is seated above. Who testifies to our spirit that indeed we are children of God. Who allows us to cry out, Abba, Father, to you. A spirit that empowers us with gifts that we might use them for your glory in this world. equips us for every good work. The spirit that indwells us and makes us a holy temple. And the spirit that by your divine creed and by the intercession of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ will bring us home to glory. We give praise to you, our one God. Three persons, one essence. And we want to ascribe you the glory that is due your name. Truly you are worthy. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Amen.